listening to the Best of Living Wealthy Radio with Teresa Kuhn. Be sure to catch our show live every Sunday on 1370 AM Austin. For information, archives, and upcoming presentations, visit our website at www.livingwealthyradio.com. Good Sunday, Austin. Welcome to Living Wealthy Radio with your host, Teresa Kuhn. Good afternoon. You're listening to Living Wealthy Radio, heard every Sunday at noon here on Talk Radio, 1370 AM, streaming live at talk1370.com. I am Teresa Kuhn, helping you live wealthier. Resources are available for you at livingwealthyradio.com. How do we change a system that will never change on its own? Are you sick and tired of the bickering in Washington, the left and right debate, the promise changes that lead to more of the same? How do you fight back if not politically? Well, one way might be to simply starve the beast, defund the system. There are other ways besides political avenues to defund the system or take back our freedom and liberate ourselves financially. Our guest today, Taryn Lupo, is a modern-day Renaissance man who seems to have already lived three lifetimes. He's best known as an author, but he's also recognized as a national liberty activist. Taryn has self-published over 20 books, five of which have made it to the top 100 list on Amazon with almost no financial investment. He leveraged social media instead, and one of his novels was the number one highest rated historical fiction ebook on Amazon for more than five months straight. He's a speaker, columnist, entrepreneur, and self-proclaimed agorist. So, Taryn, welcome to Living Wealthy Radio. Well, thanks for having me, Teresa. So, how did you start writing? Well, I kind of had an interest in high school, but I never really thought I'd do anything with it. And it got to the point, since you guys do talk financial, that at first, really, it was um, a financial move. I was doing careers that felt like they would never give any sort of residual income. So I used to be a chiropractor back in the day, and every time I adjusted someone, I had to find another patient to feed me, and I'd have to find another patient and find another patient. And it's kind of a bad business model when you're trying to survive just on work and getting paid. So I figured if I wrote a book... I could put in a lot of work in a short time period and then continue to get paid for years and years and years. So at first it was kind of a financial move, and then it became more of an outlet for activism. And you have a recurring theme with your books, right? Well, my niche is um, more a liberty-oriented audience. So, you know, as writers go, if you want to get in to be a writer these days, you have to really carve out a very specific niche to be successful. It's kind of hard to do a broad-based book anymore. The competition's just so fierce. So I, um, I live what I preach, and I write novels that are more liberty-oriented, like the characters. There's usually some sort of liberty-oriented character in the novel, uh, because that's what I'm surrounded by, and that's what I know. And so it's very comfortable to write about that. Now, don't get me wrong, most of my work are fiction, and they're entertaining, and, you know, you could give it to someone, and it, it's not preachy, and it doesn't beat them over the head with, with the ideas. But it is uh, a running theme that's, you know, when you, when you know what's going on, it's pretty obvious that that's in there. What do you mean by liberty? You know, well, to be a liberty of, activist. Uh, what that means is kind of looking uh, old-school self-responsibility, the stuff your grandparents used to know about, the stuff that 
you grew up probably believing that, you know, you need to take care of yourself and your friends and your family and not looking to a government entity to take care of you. You know, it's not the government's job to take care of you. And that is more what I mean by liberty activism. It's, it's more uh, self-empowerment. Some would argue differently today. Some would uh, argue that the yeah. government's there to take care of us. I mean, look at what we're going through with Obamacare. Well, and that's been trained. You know, over the last couple of generations, independence has been taken away. So it makes sense that that was the goal this whole time is to train independence out of people. It wasn't so long ago when your grandparents or your great-grandparents could grow their own food, could, you know, pretty much self-sustain. If they had no money at all, they could still survive. We're, we're just a couple generations out, and we don't have a clue. People my age don't have a clue. You just, you know, they think you can just throw seeds on the ground and they magically grow into things. So it, it's, it's on purpose. The government wants people to uh, not be independent because they're much easier to control, and, and frankly, the powers that be get very rich by controlling people. And that sounds like a conspiracy theory, and and I happen to agree <laughs> with you completely, right? Um, yeah, it sounds that way, but it's I'm not wearing the tinfoil hat. Uh, it, it is a little bit of conspiracy, but but really, if you have any common sense and can open your eyes, you can see it all around you. That I mean, the whole idea of going to school and learning—they uh, don't teach you skills on how to be independent. It, government education is about conforming and being a good employee, coming out of school and learning how to follow rules correctly, and being the best, you know, yes man you can be. It doesn't teach independence and thought anymore. In fact, you get punished for that. There, there is, I believe, a concerted effort in the last 30 years to make us more dependent on the government, to make us more uh, of a conformist. And even though on, on the outside it looks like we're more accepting as a culture of people's differences, it, it, it's within a box. And if you don't conform to that box, then you are labeled um, a wacky conspiracy theorist or someone who is, well, what the government's doing, right? La- labeling you a terrorist if you're uh, a liberty-oriented type of person. I know. It sounds crazy. Like, it, everything that sounded like a conspiracy 15 years ago is now normal, commonplace. Like, if I had told you, oh, the government can see every single email you've ever had, and everything is, you know, they, they can find you instantly wherever you are. Uh, you think that's crazy, but then, you know, here we go. The NSA comes out and says, oh, yeah, we've been able to do that for years. You know, so it's, it, all this stuff sounds like science fiction, but anyone that's actually opened their eyes at all knows this is happening. They just don't want to admit it. And not only do we know, as a society, do we know it's happening, we kind of accepted it. You know, with everything that's yeah. come out with Snowden and the NSA, you know, we're not out marching in the streets demanding something different. We've kind of said, all right, well, I guess this is what it's like. This is what it well, is. Well, it's become that complacent, though. Um, sadly, government is, is one thing, and, and people don't want to acknowledge that government is force. So in order to control you, they always have the threat of force. And that, that sounds odd, you know, because you go through school and you get taught that government's here to help you. But if you give me any example, I can always show you the gun in the room. What I mean by that is, um, say you get something simple like a parking ticket, and people go, oh, well, you just got a parking ticket. If I refuse to pay that parking ticket, they're going to start sending me nasty letters. If I just ignore those nasty letters, then they start sending, um, they start threatening to take my property and put liens on stuff. If I ignore that, 
then a sheriff or men with guns show up to my house and tell me I have to get out and they're taking the property. If I resist that, they will shoot me dead in my lawn. You know, there's always a threat of force and a gun in the room, even though it seems very small at first. But if you push it to the limit, it always ends in one place, that someone will force you with a gun to do something. And that's that's a tough reality. You know, people don't want to acknowledge. And so I'm hoping that in the future we can evolve past that, that we can get a place to as a society to realize that forcing people is just not the best way in an archaic way. You know, there's got to be a better way than to threaten your neighbor to get something done. So what do you see as the alternative ideal society? Well, unfortunately, you know, I, I'm very um, peace-oriented, so I don't want to see a bloody revolution go around, and, and fighting only promotes more fighting. I think what needs to happen is a better system has to come out where people simply just migrate to the better system and this one becomes obsolete. In other words, um, a uh, where people just simply start ignoring the government uh, on a massive scale and ignoring stupid regulations and ignoring rules to where it's um, they're powerless. Uh, a good example of this is, say, file sharing. Ten years ago, you know, the government was going crazy with Napster and trying to arrest little grannies for, you know, their kids downloading music. Today, millions and millions of things are downloaded every day, and I don't want anyone under 40 that pays for music. You know, it's considered so normal that they ignore the law and do what they want, and the government just cannot stop it. So I'm, I'm using that example on a larger scale, where if they just start living free and acting free, yeah, there's some people that are going to get in trouble in the beginning, kind of like they did with the file sharing, but if enough people do it, they really can't do anything. It just simply becomes obsolete. So, you know, it's all an illusion. Mm-hmm. Well, it is until you're the one that gets that, you know, if you're the unlucky one who gets the, the lawsuit... Uh, or the grandma yeah. who gets, you know, sued for millions of dollars because grandchild downloaded, you know, a few songs. That's what they're counting on. And that's why they make a public display is they they it, they want enough fear of people saying, well, I might be the one targeted. So you just got to find a large enough population that agrees to do it. And uh, I think that'll happen naturally, too. It's it's going to be a result of just not being able to do business um by government standards anymore. Like, have you even tried to start a business in the last 10 years? The regulations that are involved and the hoops you have to jump through is ridiculous. So it's impossible. I mean, you have to spend so much money before you even get started just to bribe bureaucrats. Um, So, you know, that, that kind of thing happens where people now are just saying, forget it, I'm an agorist, which means that you don't care if there's licensing or not. You're just going to do business freely. And they don't care if they get in trouble. They're, they're not living in fear anymore. They're going to start a business. If they get in trouble, they get in trouble. And there's a wave. There is a huge movement of this going on right now. And the government, although, yeah, they go after a couple big players, uh, they really can't stop it. And what's silly is, is how, how far we've come. Like, what's illegal now? Everything's illegal. Everything I want to do is illegal. Everything. And and the stuff that, say, um, your grandmother who wanted to bake cookies in her kitchen and sell them mm-hmm. for a bake sale, well, now that's illegal. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't sell a, you can't do that without permits and regulations and begging the government. Where stuff that your grandparents would think was very normal is absolutely crazy now to try. I mean, I saw 
girls sell in lemonade getting arrested. Absolutely. You know, when, and, I, and I think you're right that it's gotten to a point where people will accept anything and are too scared to uh, to actually stand up. Um, like you were saying, that they don't want to be the first one to stand up. And what's happening is that's changing because groups of people are now standing up together. Uh, there's a huge uh, example, like the Free State Project's a great example up in New Hampshire of people purposely moving together, and then there's a large portion of them that are just ignoring the laws and doing what they want. And they're peaceful. No one's, I mean, you're talking about chasing people down for cooking food. You know, I'm not talking about running through the streets with, you know, trying to instigate a revolution. I'm talking about just living free. So one of the good things I think that's coming from all this hyper-regulation where everything, there's a law for everything. And, you know, we're probably breaking laws and don't aren't even aware because they're just every part of our life is regulated. You need a permit, you need a license, and if, you know, the definition of permit is permission, right? You're going to the state, the city, the county to get permission to do something. License is um, is a type of permission, Everything requires a permit or a license these days. And the more people feel overly regulated, I think the more people are going to be aware that we don't live in a land of the free and home of the brave, like we've been brainwashed to think that we still do. Yeah, it's it's very seductive. You're exactly right. They tell you you're free uh, and you have all the regulations and permits to prove it. <laughs> exactly. 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 So, uh, so it's either that or the people I hang out with, uh, like you, who think this way, and the rest of society isn't catching on. I don't. I don't know which one it is. Well, the good news. Well, uh, the sad truth is this: the the older population is kind of benefiting from this at this point, and they're not going to be the ones that change. The younger people are basically waiting around for them to die off, in a better term. And um, and what's going to happen is. There is a huge wave of people that are told when they're born, oh, by the way, you owe $40,000 of debt to something you didn't even agree to, or, mm-hmm. uh, but you're responsible for this. And there's a huge upswelling of younger people that are angry and simply just checking out and ignoring it, way more than I think the uh, society is aware of. This storm is coming, and uh, hopefully it's a peaceful evolution where people just find something better and move, and it won't be a... Um, a violent fallout like everybody, you know, is hoping it's not. So what do you think that storm's going to look like? I think that storm's going to look like the dollar crashing. I mean, any third year, anyone that can do third grade math can realize that the dollar is completely um, unattainable. The math just does not add up. Statistically, it is impossible to save the dollar. It's going to crash. I think when that happens, and nobody will no longer take greenbacks that... um, that it's going to force people to look into other ways to do business. And fortunately, there's a lot of agorism and a lot of underground cultures that are already in place that I think will become an easy filter where people will go to make a living. That they'll say, oh, these people have already been working without permits for 15 years. Well, that's what I'm going to do. You know, and they're just going to move over to it. I think that's what's going to happen. There is going to be massive chaos for a little while as... You know, if you look, I think it's estimated that 65% of people are paid directly or indirectly through government. And when they can no longer print up fake money and uh, pay people, all of a sudden, all the people on Medicare, Medicaid, uh, getting state checks, military, teachers, 
all the people that rely on money that's printed um, are going to get paid in money that no one will take. And I think it's going to be a great reshuffling for a while that uh, that they're going to have to find some other profession and uh, a way to handle it. And their pensions are going to be nothing because no one's... It, it, it's going to follow just like every other country did. If you look back at when the Soviet Union collapsed, those guys had pensions. Those soldiers had stuff. And what did they do? You know, the next day they were like, sorry, it's worthless now. Your money's worthless. And so they found themselves completely out of luck. And what they did is they uh, they basically cleaned out the bases and stole all the weapons they could take to sell. And they said, this is my retirement. I'm taking the tank. And I'm going to sell it, you know. And that that's what's going to happen here. I think it's going to break up to... Uh, a, a, a large reshuffling, and then you're going to find um, a lot of little states and communities that are going to come back together. That's what I predict is going to happen. But I do think there's going to be some parts that are violent, and I'm hoping to live in the places that aren't, that are already far ahead, like somewhere like New Hampshire, where they already have a liberty culture set up. I mean, I'm not trying to doom and gloom, but I don't see what other alternative is going to happen when the dollar collapses and nobody will touch that dollar anymore. Chaos would be an understatement. For a short time. But I think the people that prepare for it can make a fortune and be in a wonderful place. So if you what, prepare for it, you can be, you know, you can be in a good spot. So what does that preparation look like? I think uh, independence. Going back to being able to feed your family is important. And um, that is a big push of my activism. And I noticed that a lot of activists are going that direction. Instead of going and trying to get people to sign and talk to their congressmen and holding signs and screaming and fighting, they evolve and they say, you know, this is silly. I'm going to learn how to feed myself. That's real independence. I'm going to learn how to grow a garden. That's independence. I'm going to learn how to do my own medicine to take care of my family in emergency situations. That is what the government's really kind of afraid of, that when you don't need them. And that's, I think, one of the most important things you can do. I'm not necessarily talking about stockpiling food, money, and weapons. I mean, that's that's kind of common sense that that would be great if you had that. But if you could start just learning how to grow stuff now, so when the, you know, when the great reshuffling comes and, and it's hard to get food, you can grow some stuff out in your patio. Well, that's, that's stuff you can really do. Start filling some water jugs, you know, protect yourself. Just basics, that basic preparation. It doesn't have to be some, you don't have to become some super survival expert. It's really interesting if you watched and talked to the people when the Soviet Union collapsed. Because this has happened. I mean, we can just look. It happened just years ago. And you can talk to the survivors, and they, they gave some great advice about, you know, how to get through those first couple of years when the when everybody's trying to scramble for jobs. And a lot of it was just learn how to feed your family. And if you're doing that, you're in great shape. So that's number one, two, and three, feed your family. I mean, really. when And feed your friends. Grow enough food that you can help. And encourage friends to grow food. You don't have to fear your neighbors when they can grow their own food. So true. You know, and I, I think that's what needs to happen. We have to reach out from a place of love and help people instead of uh, this mindset of I'm going to own the biggest stockpile of weapons and I'll kill anyone that comes near me. You know, that's ridiculous. You, you can't live like that. It's going to be more of I need to build a community that can take care of themselves. Hey, by the way, I learned how to grow food. This stuff grows good. Why don't you try growing some over here? And And just try to encourage your friends and family to to learn these skills that have been lost. I mean, that's that's what I think the most important activism you could do to get ready. You wrote I mean, a growing book. Growing food is printing money. Growing food is printing money. 
in a cashless society, right? In, in, in a society yeah, I mean, where there's chaos. It's as good as printing money. You're, you're growing food. You wrote a book called How to Make Money Outside the System, where you advocate agorism. Um, Correct. What, dig deep a little bit into what you were referring to in that book. Well, that's one of my very first books, and it was kind of where I got to the point where I just had enough of rules and regulations and decided to no longer live in fear. If I get caught, I get caught, and so what? And I've got a huge community that will back me up if I do get caught. If you want to arrest me for, you know... Uh, get caught at what, though? I, um, well, it, 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 the, the book goes through a lot of stuff. And, like, at the time, I was making jewelry. Now, I didn't get a license to do it because you're using gases and, and the high pressure stuff, you know, torches and stuff in your house. And I know that seems silly not to get a, you know, that I didn't ask for a business license and I was running a business out of my house. And that doesn't seem something that's real out of the norm or dangerous. But um, at the time, you know, it is still agorism because what I'm doing is illegal. Like, I could get in trouble for it. For making jewelry in your home. Of course, because I don't have a business license and you're using power tools. You know, depending on where you're at, I, I have... Yeah, I have an oxygen tank and a saline torch, you know, then you're, you're supposed to have permits for that stuff in some counties. So it, it was just silly stuff like that where most people I knew were not doing anything that was illegal 20 years ago or 30 years ago. You know, this is normal stuff. Now, there are things that I don't think should be illegal. I don't think the drug war should be illegal. I don't think prostitution should be illegal. I don't think... You know, uh, these are victimless crimes. They're, this is consenting adults doing whatever they want to do, and it's none of my business. So the book does go into deeper and more risky uh, avenues. You know, if you're going to take on more risk, then you need to be more careful. And it does talk about how to work around the system and work around those licenses. So I know sometimes that sounds shocking to some people uh, because they've been so ingrained that these vice crimes are uh, are, are bad and, and people that use drugs are bad and People that are prostitutes are bad, and they aren't. You know, these are consenting adults that aren't hurting anyone, that uh, that just get a bad rap, and really they're made into victims so the state can make an enormous amount of money in the drug war. Well, I think it's all about money at the end of the day. It's about power, control, Absolutely. and money. And power. it certainly has come out. Control. Uh, medical marijuana and all the benefits of of marijuana from a medicinal perspective. It's frustrating at times. The way the system never seems to change, if you are wondering how you can provide for your future and change the system for yourself, stay tuned right after the break. Uh, We're going to talk about how you can break free and chart your own financial course with Taryn Lupo. Teresa Kuhn with Living Wealthy Radio will be right back. Living Wealthy Radio. Visit Teresa's team online at livingwealthyradio.com, 1-800-382-0830 now. Call 1-800-382-0830. Welcome back, Austin, to Living Wealthy Radio with Teresa Kuhn. If you are just now joining us, we're speaking with serial entrepreneur and self-proclaimed agorist, Taryn Lupo, about how to empower yourself for financial and political independence without the negativity and fear so commonly associated with political movements. He's built a very successful business outside the conventional system and believes we can affect 
effectively change our world by changing ourselves. So, Taryn, you've certainly done that. You were a chiropractor before. You got tired of all the regulations and uh, decided that you were going to be independent and be free, live free, and started different businesses without licenses, and you've written on how one could do that, a book, you know, How to Make Money Outside the System, and your libertarian philosophies certainly come come through. Uh, let's talk about health for a moment, because you do have sure. this chiropractic background. And and before you went to chiropractic school, obviously, you were an out-of-the-box thinker, which, you know, most chiropractors are. That's, you know, they're going the unconventional route for health, right? Right. I mean, I had my choice. I, I, I had a, um, I've got degrees in biology and chemistry and, you know, had a, had a science background. And what I did is, um, I, you know, it, the medical field just didn't agree with my lifestyle. I was much more of a natural healer, and chiropractic seemed to offer the most at that time. I was pretty happy doing chiropractic. I, I had a successful practice, and the government, you know, when I first started, it was it was not as bad. And then when I started really getting into it, so a good example is the HIPAA training came out. So this idea that the government comes in and says that, they now have access to all your patients' information, and you need to follow these rules, and everyone you forget to follow or you screw up in your paperwork is a $10,000 fine. And not only that, you're going to train your staff, so um, you have to spend an enormous amount of money training your staff, another $10,000 to take them to seminars and get them trained to be HIPAA compliant. And all you really do is train a bunch of people to turn you into the government. <laughs> you know, your staff uses it against you as an oh, you forgot to do something, I'm going to, uh, you don't let me off Saturday, I'm going to tell you, you know, about this HIPAA regulation. I actually had staff members use it as like a blackmail tool, and it, it got ridiculous. I was inviting the government into my practice to spy on me through my staff, and it really also didn't show any respect to my patients. Like if my patients came in and said, I do not want you to share my information with the government, I have to or the government will find me and throw me in jail. So they stick themselves in it, and um, I don't think it's very good doctrine when you can't protect your patients. So I finally stood up and said, I'm not doing this anymore, and I, um, I sold my practice. I think if I were to look back, I might have stayed with it and just gone cash and ignored all the, the rules anyway, and if I got in trouble, I got in trouble. Because I, I really respect my patients a lot more than some bureaucrats. So why do you think the government went to the HIPAA regulation and today we're looking at, like, Obamacare? What well, is their thinking? The, the, the game plan is control. That's all it's about is the government is doing this move to, um, if you can control someone's health care, you really can control them at their weakest moment of their life. And I know that sounds harsh, but when they get to make the decision if you live or die, uh, some bureaucrats, it's a very powerful decision. Are you? Are we going to pay for this treatment that's going to cost $100,000? Well, no, according to our regulations, you're too old and the chances aren't you're not really going to make it. So, no, we're not going to give you this. And that is going to come. I mean, that's not a joke at all. They, they will decide who gets it and who doesn't. And that is the ultimate goal, is control. And then what they'll do is they'll use that to instigate other policies, you know. Well, you need to vote for me or we're going to lose all these HIPAA regulations and you're not going to get health care coverage anymore if you don't vote for me. You know, we're going to have to cut it back to nothing. And so to be able to control someone's health care is the ultimate control. 
So controlling their health care, um, I've heard it said controlling the food supply, uh, controlling the money, uh, if you have debt, uh, every aspect of our lives that means something, at the end of the day, I, I agree with you. I think it's about control. But it's not just health care. It's, it's the food system. You, they don't want us to grow our own foods. Um, there are some jurisdictions that want to control the water and the water flow and the rain flow, Right. That's absolutely right. They, it's illegal to even have rain barrels in some places. Apparently, the government owns the skywater, you know, the rainwater. So uh, they, they will control anything that you will let them. And, and understand this. This is why. They control things because they can. It's not any more difficult than that. Because they can. That's why they're doing it. So what's the future of health care? And what's the future of alternative health care? Yes. The health care is going to... It's going to, I'm going to take the same model of a lot of socialization. It depends on how they did it. Like Canada did it differently, where what they did is they, when the doctors start off, these private doctors, they get forced into these programs. So you still have an army of high-quality trained doctors, and they stuff their mouths with gold. That was a quote. You know, the, the Canadians stuffed their, their doctors. They just paid them so well in the beginning that they all went along with it and voted it in. But as it went on, they started reducing and reducing and reducing after they got what they wanted. Twenty years later, all the good doctors have retired, and now you have bureaucrat doctors, people that are growing into the system, not making money. You're not attracting the best talent. You're attracting people that um, you know will, will basically have to do anything the government tells them to do though, in order to pay back this debt. They, they enslave you by racking up such a massive amount of debt and making it so hard to become a doctor. I went through all these hoops, but you've spent so much and have so much on the line, and you've got to now feed a family and pay all these bills back that you're forced to deal with the government and take that money that they're dangling. That's how, that's, that's the little, it doesn't happen right away. It happens a couple of years down the road, where you, and then the quality of doctors get worse and worse and worse. What's going to happen here, and when I talk to my doctor friends, is they did not agree to be government employees. So there'll be this weird gray period where a lot of good doctors will drop off and work for the rich in cash. And there'll be two kinds of care here where, you know, um, you'll, you'll see some doctors until they make that illegal. There'll be a whole cash world that appears. And then the rest of everybody will be forced into these government programs. And they threaten. I mean, if you look at the legislation, they threaten these doctors that you have to join these plans or, you know, there is a, fine, and if you don't pay that fine, they will throw you in jail. That's the only way they're going to make it work, is to threaten them. You know, you're basically taking a doctor's freedom away. So what happens is they're going to do that. The health care will plummet, and I think people are going to get so upset and mad about it that I think there's going to be a whole cash world that appears alongside it. And I think that is where the positive threat is going to be. You're going to be able to get health care cheaper much better in a cash world, and um, there's going to be a lot of black market doctors. Honestly, I've adjusted four or five years now without a license, and I don't really care. You know, if you want to come for me, come for me, because I don't feel like I'm doing anything. Somehow it does not make me a better quality doctor to pay a board. You know, how come all of a sudden I'm dangerous, and then I pay $500 to my board for a license, and now I'm not dangerous anymore? Control. You know, all of a sudden, by the act of me writing this check has made me a better doctor. Explain that. Because the... Wow. So it's, it's just simply I'm bribing 
to be in the, the good old boys club and, and the protection racket. So what's going to happen is you're going to see a lot of other doctors appear that aren't really their quasi-doctors. You know, they've studied, they kind of know what they're doing. You're going to see a lot of different solutions where you're going to have the top doctors where you're going to pay a lot of money in cash, and then you're going to see the bottom doctors where there's somebody that kind of knows what, watch some stuff on the Internet and practice on their friends, and you're going to have a, a variety of services. And I think that needs to happen. Deregulation needs to happen. It doesn't... I don't, I don't believe in fraud. I don't believe in acting like, you know, saying you're a doctor and you're not. But I do believe that if I want to pay someone to stitch me up that's not a doctor for a quarter of the price, I think I should be allowed to. And I'm going to. I don't really care what the government says. So what about other alternative therapies? What's going to happen? The alter- I'll say that again, dear. The, the alternative therapies, like, you know, acupuncturists I, and chiropractic well, care kind of, and naturalists, well, naturopaths. Right, and... They've always kind of existed outside the government because they won't play the game. Um, although chiropractors and acupuncturists, uh, sadly, they've kind, of, they, they kind of sold out their own profession and begged to be regulated. They're like, please regulate us so we can be part of this machine. And it's sad because they used to have pride in being different. And, and uh, Well, it was I, I for really the insurance, money. A lot money. of people sold out. Yeah, it's, they're, they're stuffing their mouths with gold. They're, they're dangling that insurance carrot. And enough people want that insurance carrot instead of having pride and saying, I can survive outside the system like they've done for 100 years. Um, so I, I'm really kind of disgusted with my own profession for selling out like that. I think that there's another rise, though, of doctors who have said enough. And I think this is going to force them to. Because here's an example. Like at one time, I thought I was being altruistic and taking on Medicaid patients. So Medicaid, for people who don't know its listing, is kind of like insurance for the poor. The government pays for it, and you get so many visits, and, you know, if you're broke or whatever, it'll, it'll take care of you. Now, when I averaged my cost per patient, it was $23 just to have a patient walk in the door. So, in other words, if I added up my rent, my staff, my continuing education, how much it costs to process the insurance forms, and then I divided it by all the patients I saw, that was the cost per patient. My, my cost just to see someone was $23. Medicaid would only pay 18 hmm. But every time I took a patient, I would lose $5. And I would subject myself to more lawsuits. And I wasted my time, you know, in the business. That model is going to be forced onto doctors where they're either going to, A, go out of business because every time they touch a patient, they're going to lose money. Or B, they're going to have to strip their business down so bad that the quality is going to be horrible. Those are your two choices. You can either reduce your patient cost, which means, you know, guess what? I'm going to fire my staff. Or, or B, uh, you know, you're just going to go out of business because you're losing money every time you touch someone. And there's no negotiation. There's no nothing. The government has decided these prices. You will take it. And if you do not take it, you'll lose your life. That's what's coming. And again, I, you know, I know this intellectually, but I have this running conflict where it just so not makes sense that a government wants a society where there's not good health care. And I know it goes back to control, but it just does not make any sense. Well, that's, Teresa, you're making the make. <laughs> you're making the uh, mistake of thinking it, stuff has to make sense. I know. It makes plenty of sense. This is a move to grab the last bit of control. When you own someone's health care, you own them. But at the end of the day, so you, you control the health care and you own the populace, but the well, health care And what's going to happen, I think, is out of desperation, 
and and because they're not going to be able to pay for government insurance anyway, I think people are just going to start ignoring it, and you're going to see just this huge black market appear of doctors. And it already exists in this country. If you didn't know this, um, most minority communities have their own doctors. Like, if you go to Chinatown, there's a bunch of doctors who are not licensed or anything that are from China. Herbalists. They're set up, and they're in the background, and they're quiet, and they work on Chinese people, and... They do surgery, and they do all kinds of stuff, and it's all black market. And they, this stuff already exists and is in play, and, it, and you'll see a lot in minority communities. Everybody has their own, like, well, the Amish doctor or the Asian doctor or whatever. And right. so I think that's what it's going to return to. You're going to see a lot of black market stuff pop up. Doctors that say, I've had enough of this. I'm not working for the government. I don't care anymore. I'll take the risk. And and I think you're right, and I think life is going to be different. Um, it's going to be very different than, than what we know today. And I, I know it goes back to that problem-solution, you know, problem-reaction-solution paradigm. Um, so what's the problem, and what's the solution? The government's got the solution, right? And uh, it's not the solution that we want as a society. It's not the ideal solution, but I think you're right. It's going to go back to something more black market, which in the Chinese community, that's exactly what they do. They've got their herbalists and their acupuncturists and their Chinese doctors who are out this black market, right? Yep, and, you know, and they have their own group of people that are not going to turn them in, you know, that they're respected in their community, and they don't care if they have a license. And I think that's what's going to happen. When you can't pay for health care because it's so ridiculous to even try to use the government, you're not going to care if someone has a license anymore. You're going to go to someone that can do it. You're not going to care about if they've been, they've, you know, paid some bureaucrats. Honestly, Teresa, I think that's a really good, positive thing. I'm glad to get away from the thumb of government. And uh, and even though this sounds scary and gloom and doom, I'm not trying to paint that because I think there's a real bright side and and a and a good place that you're going to have an army of doctors that are more skilled, cheaper, and you're going to have much better choice in your health care when this is all over. I think there's a real bright side that. Uh, um, it's just going to be a, a tough path to get there immediately. So let's talk about in the remaining few minutes that we have um, how our listeners can benefit from this kind of thinking. How can they become more self-sufficient or start their own, you know, ebook business or turn whatever passion they have into uh, money-making uh, enterprise so they're not totally dependent on their jobs and the government. Well, I think that you've got to phase out. Find something you like, you know, start working that on the side until it becomes um, a full income. You know, I would be crazy to tell someone, oh, just jump out and become an author. No, don't do that. Write books while you're at work. <laughs> and then uh, as your books start making money, then drop drop out. You know, make it a smooth transition, but have a plan. Don't just stand there and wait for something to happen. The other thing is um, stop living in fear and making decisions from a fear point. We have been so trained. If I said, okay, we got to start a business, most of society is going to say, okay, well, what forms do I need to fill out? And uh, who do I talk to about getting a license? And, and who do I have to beg permission from first? You've got to deprogram and, and clutter your, get the clutter out of your mind. Stop looking to ask permission. Just do it. It's a lot easier to get forgiveness than, than to beg for permission. Just do it and stop living in fear. You have um, embraced more of a uh, a thinking of positive activism where it's more solution-based than focusing on what's wrong with society? I'm trying to go that direction. 
I think it's very empowering to learn how to grow your own food and start your own business instead of just sitting around the Internet complaining about how bad Obama is and how we're all screwed. So, yeah, that stuff exists. Don't focus your energy on it. Focus on your own independence and, and becoming a better person and helping your neighbors. That's where you're going to win, and that's a wonderful position to be in. If you can clear that fear out of your mind, you'll be so much better off. It's and, a very dark hole to live. And so how do you wake up in the middle of, of all of this negativity? How do you wake up every day focusing on solutions? Uh, and it's and a fight. It's a fight because I lived in that negative world, too. You know, I went out and yelled at politicians and held signs and begged for permission. And then one day it just changes where you just say, you know, this is stupid. I've had enough. And everybody goes on their own path. Some people have to get burned by society enough and, and, you know, they work for a politician and their politician gets 2% of the vote after they killed themselves. And they realize this is systems intentionally broken. It's, there's no fixing it. Um, you have to evolve to the point where you just wake up and say, I've had enough and I'm going to live free and I don't care anymore. And that's, that's a position of power, not a position of fear. And that's the tough part is we are grown in a culture of fear. We're told you have to do these things or bad things will happen to you. And um, you know what? That's, that's most of the time not true. Almost never. I, I know an entire culture out there that ignores rules and laws, and they're fine. And these groups of individuals are in every city in the country. Yep. Just got to tie in with a local agorism group or start your own. or You don't even need that. With social networking, you can... You can reach out all over the place. And if you really want, go look into the Free State Project. I think they have a huge community up there in New Hampshire. It's already in play. Or go tie in with an ethnic community. Learn how to speak Spanish, and they're already doing it. They don't follow any rules. They don't ask for permission. Go seriously. Look around at all the ethnic communities around here. They're already in play. They, this is very natural for them. They think this is this country's crazy with all the rules and regulations. So if you ignore it, and enough people ignore it, they lose their power and it goes away. So what role do you think Bitcoin has in this alternative economy? Bitcoin? Mm-hmm. Oh, Bitcoin's going to be a major change. Uh, it's already happening. I think the government's going to, they've ignored it for a while. Now they've, they've got to go after a couple major players to try to scare people. But I think once it moves offshore, um, there's really not a darn thing they can really do. Because of the way it's set up, it's much like file sharing, where they're going to go after a couple of key players, and that's all they can do is start to scare people. And it is going to change. Bitcoin is one of, I think, probably the millennium's most important invention. To take the money out of the bank machine and put it in the people is just so huge. And I, I'm really looking forward to uh, how fast that's going to happen. When the dollar crashes and this thing's already in play, Bitcoin's going to be huge. And on other alternatives, there's going to be 100 different Bitcoins out there. You know, it's not just that, but the idea that where they've lost, humanity's lost faith in the government's money, and there's willing, there's a good alternative instead of, you know, I, I think that's it's a very positive thing. It's going to free a lot of people and end a lot of wars. So do you see more and more people converting, transferring their dollars into Bitcoins? Um, I see more and more business being done with it, and a lot of people, I mean, I'm seeing it talked about all over the place, which four years ago was, you know, nobody even knew what it was when I was talking about Bitcoin. So it's become very mainstream, and I think it's going to pick up speed tremendously this year. Uh, as soon as the major players like, you know, say like PayPal or eBay starts playing and or Amazon comes on, it's going to rock it. You think they will? Oh, yeah. 
I think that they're stupid not to. They're losing too much of the pie now. I mean, they're already in talks with. So I and there's already places that can do that. You know, um, there's something called Bitcoin Store, which is pretty much like Amazon. You can buy anything you want. I bought an awesome camera off there just using Bitcoins, and uh, it's already in play. It's it's getting easier and easier. I think what's going to really change stuff is when uh, they get it to a credit card, where you can use it to buy anything you want with a credit card. And I think that's going to change everything when it's convenient. Taryn, you have such... I can take my guess. That would be your guess. You you have such an interesting perspective on on everything, and you've certainly been consistent and have reconciled your way of thinking with your lifestyle. There are so many of us and I'm I'm number one there where I think one way but I'm I'm feel somewhat trapped in um yep. in how I make my living and how I live my life. And uh I salute you for um becoming self sufficient and doing things your way. Um for our listening audience, if you could share your website and your contact information, we'll certainly have a download uh, of this broadcast on livingwealthyradio.com and links to how they can reach you. But if you can share with our listeners right now. You can find me at lupolit.com, like literature, L-U-P-O-L-I-T, lupolit.com. And that will take you to all my books, my free audio books, and uh, most of them, just about everything else I do. You can find me there. So any support would be fantastic, but honestly, uh, the one thing I'm trying to get through to people is just have some courage and come from a positive place and stop being so darn scared. Stop being afraid. They want us afraid. They want us cowering in corners. That's how they control it. If enough people stop living in fear, this all changes overnight. Well, I know at the end of the day, they can't control our thinking. They can't control our thoughts. Uh, well, there is some technology that would allow them to do so, but but hopefully, right, they can't control all of our thoughts and our thinking, and they can't take our soul. No, we're getting really close to a positive breaking point, and I think I'm, I'm excited to see what comes after this mess. Well, thank you so much for joining us here today at Living Wealthy Radio, Taryn, and uh, God bless. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Teresa. I appreciate you having me. My pleasure. Anytime. This presentation is for educational and informational purposes only. The info being presented does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation and does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax advisor or legal counsel or other professional, and you should not use the information in place of a personal consultation regarding your specific situation or needs prior to taking any action based on this information. We believe the info provided is real. Reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness. What if there was a place where your hard-earned cash could grow safely and sanely without being pilfered by bankers, Wall Street, tax collectors, or other persons of dubious character? A place where you could say no to the motion sickness-inducing ups and downs of the stock market where you didn't have to grovel on your hands and knees every time you wanted to borrow money from some tight-fisted banker who collects all your private data and then turns you down. Such a world sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? Well, it isn't. All you need to do is call toll-free right now 
and ask for your Living Wealthy Financial Information Packet. It costs nothing and it will tell you exactly what you need to do to chart a more prosperous financial course and take back what belongs to you. So, do it. Call right now. 1-800-382-0830 That's 1-800-382-0830 Or, visit our website at www.livingwealthyfinancial.com You'll be glad you did.